But this morning, while the Lord has put so much on my heart, and there's so many things that I would love to share, to talk with you about, my desire ultimately is not to try to teach you anything new. Um, uh, For one hand, you probably don't have capacity as (laughs) we're at the end of our semester and term, and there's a lot of stuff going on. But what I desire to do is to give you some fresh and vital reminders. And I love the way the Apostle Peter wrote in first, 2 Peter 1.3 that I think it's right that as long as I'm in the body to stir you up by way of reminder. And so here is the reminder this morning. Students, remember that you are beloved. Remember that you are beloved. And remembering that you are beloved will equip you to live as the supernatural incarnate community of Jesus Christ. The New Testament addresses Christians, you, followers of Jesus, as beloved no less than 50 times, which is about the number of one and others that we have. And so there's definitely, I think, uh, maybe a correlation happening there, but I, I could simply just end right here. Remember that you are beloved. However, since we have some more time in the, in the remaining moments that I do have, I wanna press into this reminder a little bit deeper by following suit of Northwestern's love of acronyms and to give us seven other actions that you and I can take to help brand upon your mind and heart this crucial word of remembrance. And how I want to do this this morning, as well as recognizing the beautiful season of Advent, that I want to actually walk through maybe what for some of us is a familiar story, but one for me, the Lord has used to ignite a fresh revelation and adoration of King Jesus. And it's the story found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, the story of the Magi. And so I want to invite you, if you, if you would, would you turn there with me? And this story is gonna help us know how remembering that you are beloved will equip you to live as kingdom image bearers of Jesus. And as we do so, we're gonna kind of build our own little Christmas card that you can take with you as a reminder. All right, so when you remember that you are beloved, here's the first one. When you remember that you are beloved, you can boldly behold your king. Boldly behold your king. I love, so it begins in Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men or magi from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So much to say here in these short couple passages, but let me just sum up what's happening here. Here we have a group of foreigners entering into the capital city of the region, the center place of Judaism, and boldly announcing their intent to find the one who is born king of the Jews. Notice it doesn't say not born to become king, but born king. Indeed, as the cherished carol declares that Jesus is Lord at thy birth. And like these magi, we can boldly acknowledge the one true king no matter what opposition or interference that we may face. But unlike these magi, we don't have to travel from a far off distance to behold our king. Instead, you and I have a strong and unwavering humble confidence that if you are in Christ, you are a beloved son or daughter of a perfect heavenly father. 
Paul would go on later to write in Ephesians 3.12 that it's in Christ we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. In other words, because of our identity, we have an intimacy with the creator of the universe that we can call the almighty Abba. And the one who is intimate with God will not be intimidated by others. See, our king is one who has a throne of grace to which we can come boldly and behold his unmatched beauty in his awestruck glory. And it was said, I love in Peter, of, about Peter and John in Acts 4.13 when being confronted and opposed for their faith in Christ. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And when we see this word behold in scripture, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an, an attention drawing word that, that scripture uses to awaken the minds, of heart, uh, minds and hearts towards a specific truth. And remember this, that you will become like what you or who you behold in terms of who you are pursuing after beholding your king. You can boldly behold your king. And as you behold King Jesus in due time, over time, you will become like him. And so, remember the beloved, you have boldness to behold your king. But not only can you only boldly behold your king, and remember that you are beloved, you can also expect God's faithful guidance and encouragement. It goes on in the story, the Magi say this, for we saw his star, his star, when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. I love here how the Lord often uh, makes, uh, he, he sovereignly uses signs that make us wonder. There's lots of mystery around this star. We don't have time to go into some of the nuances here, but what we know is that God was guiding these magi. Here he uses a star to faithfully and consistently bring these magi to Jesus. This story is full of powerful contrasts. So I was studying it recently, just, just noticing this again. Matthew, uh, the, the, Matthew was here writing primarily to a Jewish audience, but yet in the opening pages of his gospel, he writes about how God was drawing a group of foreign Gentiles into a place of acknowledging and adoring the Messiah. And here, Herod, the, the king of the land, who interestingly was made uh, king by the Romans when he was abruptly 33 years old, and here we have Jesus born king, and he died when he was 33 years old. But here we have the king of the land and the people of the land, when they hear his, this, this, uh, this, the news of these magi coming in, they become troubled, agitated, annoyed, and afraid. Well, the Magi have come to seek to adore Jesus. Now, not only did God guide the Magi by a star, but he also used the scriptures. So not only a sign, but it says that when he brought, assembled the chief priests and the scribes, it says, they told him, quoting Micah 5, 2, in Bethlehem and of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So remember this when it comes to God's guidance. Never expect a sign from God if you're not in the word of God. 
And so, and, and that to some degree, we know that these Magi had some knowledge of God's word and some of the Old Testament messianic prophecies, likely from prophecy of Balaam and Numbers 24 of assigning a star to the birth of the Messiah. But notice that we need both, we need to be in the scriptures to recognize and be attentive to the signs and to the promptings that God gives to us. So what Paul wrote in 15, Romans 15.4 that it's through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. That not only can we expect God's faithful guidance but his encouragement. And as we look back over the challenge and difficulty of this past year, I think it can be so easy to slide into discouragement. But as a mentor of mine is fond of saying and often reminding me that all discouragement is a temporary loss of perspective. And so remembering that you are beloved is an encouraging truth that puts you back on track to see life again from God's perspective, to be guided by him. And when you see as God sees, not only you're encouraged by your communion with him, but also you can be an encourager in your connection with your community. And as Paul would go on later to write in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he says, therefore my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so when you remember that you are a beloved, not only can you behold your king, and not only can you expect God's faithful guidance and encouragement, but thirdly, you can live with courageous obedience. You can live with courageous obedience. It says next in the story, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them, gathered from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Now here's another powerful contrast in the story. We have the chief priests and the scribes. They have knowledge of the entirety and access to the entirety of the Old Testament, yet upon the possibility that the Messiah has been born, they remain apathetic. They choose to stay comfortable and refuse to travel the approximate five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to see if this is true for themselves. Yet on the other hand, we have these magi have likely again a small awareness or some awareness of the Old Testament messianic prophecies, have seen a star that is intermittently appearing and this little bit of revelation invites a drastic obedience as they travel a distance of approximately 500 miles to see this king for themselves. So we see this tragic unbelief is contrasted by a remarkable faith. And beloved, I was convicted this last week of how the, you and I have access to the entirety of the scriptures. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. You and I can freely gather here in the community of faith. We have more fuel than ever to live with courageous obedience. But could we be honest for a moment and consider in our plenty and prosperity have we grown, have we grown apathetic by giving into the frenzy of living hurried lives eager to maintain our own comfort and agendas? Do we often underestimate the power of giving God our undivided attention in even such a place as this in chapel? God can do more in 40 minutes than you and I could ever do in 40 years. Never underestimate the power of giving God your undivided attention. And what if we, like the Magi, were ignited towards a courageous obedience by just the smallest amount of revelation And so meditate on this truth. You are God's beloved. And remembering that you are beloved not only means that you can behold 
with boldness, you're king. You can expect God's faithful guidance and encouragement. You can live with courageous obedience, but also you can overcome any obstacle. These next two actions in our beloved acronym that I wanna build for us is more like a parenthesis in the story here. There are more observations that are implied but not explicitly stated. And it's evident that these Magi encountered numerous obstacles in their pursuit of Jesus. That not only from the brutal 500 mile journey they endured to get to Jerusalem and Bethlehem, but also as they were confronted by the evil agenda of Herod. But nevertheless, they were resolute in their pursuit of Christ. They were rewarded for their diligent search, not because Herod told them to, but because their hearts were awakened by God's loving revelation. Indeed, at the end of the story, their disobedience to Herod would have gotten them killed by not returning back to them after they found Jesus, but God mercifully spared them again by faithfully guiding them, and they courageously obeyed God, not Herod. And I'm reminded of this important truth that we see evident that Jesus would go on later to teach in John 16, 33, that in this world you will have, not you might have, or potentially will have, you will have tribulation, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And this same apostle John, who was called the beloved disciple, would later write in a revelation of the seven letters written to the seven churches, Jesus' own words to them, that each of them at the end concludes this promise for those who overcome, writes this in Revelation 3.21, to the one who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with him with my father on his throne. See, there's nothing that we will face in this life that we cannot overcome. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, as Paul would write. Or as Revelation 12, 11 states, and they, the speaking of the saints, the beloved, conquered him, the enemy, the accuser, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. And so when you remember that you're beloved, you can, beholdly, you can boldly behold your king. You can expect God's guidance and encouragement. You can live with courageous obedience. You can overcome any obstacle. And next, you can virtuously grow in Christ-like character. Virtuously grow in Christ-like character. Another observation that's evident in this story is that the Magi were, not, were ones who did not conform to the status quo of their day. Because they were the Magi, they were indeed ones who had a distinguished place of honor in their society. Yet they were not content with the prestige that the world had to offer. Instead, they embarked on a new path that was counter-cultural and longed to be transformed by beholding this king king of the Jews. You see, we live in a world where Christians often equate giftedness or status with character. We tend to elevate those who are gifted with the platform of providence that often outweighs or outpaces their character. And so in pursuit of their calling, their character crumbles. May it not be so with you. I'm reminded that as one pastor said that virtue is to do what we do with all of our might in pursuit of the enjoyment of all that God is for us in Jesus. So in essence, essence, being virtuous is all about cultivating a spiritual appetite for the things of God from the basis of our faith in him in which he establishes a lifelong trajectory of growth in Christ-like character. Which is why Peter would write in 2 Peter 1.5, 
to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So beloved, the Christian journey is ultimately one of becoming who you already are in Christ. And when you remember that you are beloved, you can boldly behold your king. You can expect God's faithful guidance and encouragement. You can live with courageous obedience. You can overcome any obstacle. You can virtuously grow in Christ-like character. And next, you can exceed in great joy. It says next in the story, and behold, there it is again, behold, attention grabbing, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love how God continues to supernaturally and very specifically uh, guide these magi. The Magi rejoiced with an inexpressible and abounding joy, not because of the star itself, but because where the star was leading them. Advent is a reminder that joy is founded and sustained, not in signs, not in gifts or presents, but having a relationship with the living Christ. I love how A.W. Tozer once wrote that we as Christians are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. In other words, our joy will be dependent upon our eyes' gaze. And ultimately, you and I can exceed in great joy because we have our eyes set on eternity, not just what is before us here on earth, but what's to come. As Paul would write later in 2 Corinthians 4.18, as we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And the Apostle Paul also wrote often of the tension that we hold as Christians of having joy in the midst of living in a broken, fallen world. And he put it this way in 2 Corinthians 6.10, that we are ones who are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So you and I can wake up each day and go to bed each night having exceeded in a joy no matter what circumstances we are going through because we are beloved of God and he is always pursuing us and drawing us to himself. And so when you remember that you are beloved, not only can you boldly behold your king, expect God's faithful guidance and encouragement, live with courageous obedience, overcome any obstacle, virtuously grow in Christ-like character, exceed in great joy, but lastly, devote your life in unrestrained worship. It says this, and I love this, this concluding, one of the concluding verses of this story. It says, in going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What a breathtaking picture of worship. These grown, dignified, prestigious Gentile men, upon seeing this young boy Jesus, who at this time was likely around two years old, with Mary's mother, fall down and prostrate themselves in unrestrained honor and worship. We can see their devotion to this all the way through as they first announced that they come to worship Jesus, as they faced the facade of Herod uh, to search diligently to, so that he can come worship him. And now they have finally arrived and they demonstrate a sincere abandonment as they fall and lay prostrate and giving honor to this boy who was born king of Bethlehem. 
Their honor of Jesus is followed by the tangible and generous action as they present to him costly gifts that require great sacrifice to give after traveling such a far distance. And even their gifts, whether fully known to them or not, point to who Jesus is and why he came and giving them gold, the gift of demonstrating royalty, frankincense, an expensive fragrance used by priests in worship and myrrh, commonly used for preparing bodies for burial. This one who was born king was one who was born to die, but not to stay dead, but to conquer the power of sin and death. And as I was studying this passage recently, I was just struck with the transforming effect of unrestrained worship. And just to consider this for a moment, I wanna invite you even right now as I, I begin to wrap up, even just to close your eyes and to picture yourself, what would it look like for you in unrestrained worship to bow down and to worship Jesus? That when you fall down to worship Jesus, our fear also falls and faith begins to rise. When you fall down to worship Jesus, our apathy also falls and awe begins to rise. When you fall down to worship Jesus, our pride also falls and peace begins to rise. When you fall down to worship Jesus, our worry also falls and wonder begins to rise. When you fall down to worship Jesus, our lust also falls and love begins to rise. When you fall down to worship Jesus, our division also falls and unity begins to rise. When we fall down to worship Jesus, our duplicity and hypocrisy also falls and dependence and humility begins to rise. When you fall down to worship Jesus, our criticism also falls and intercession begins to rise. When you fall down to worship Jesus, our greed also falls and generosity begins to rise and when you fall down to worship Jesus, everything that was not initiated in your life by the Holy Spirit begins to fall and a fresh filling and a leading and a guidance and a remembrance that you are beloved begins to rise. And so Lord Jesus, I pray that right now in, the, in your name as our King, that you would awaken within every single student on this campus, here in this room, those that are in the dorm, those that are in the car, those that are at home, that every single member of this community would remember that they are your beloved. And that we can trust you with our lives, that we can declare that you are our king, that we can expect your faithful guidance and encouragement that we can live with courageous obedience, that we can overcome any obstacle, that we can virtuously grow in Christ-like character, that we'd be ones who would exceed in great joy, and that we would be ones who are devoted to an unrestrained worship of you. So God, I thank you, and I praise you, and I love you, and I thank you for these dear students and brothers and sisters of mine. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.